Did anyone set any New Year's resolutions? Have anyone broken any New Year's resolutions yet? No. One of mine was to grow a big bushy beard. So uh, a work in progress. Okay, if you want to turn to the book of 1 Peter in your Bibles, if you have a Bible, if not, don't worry, the words will appear as if by magic on the screen behind you. 1 Peter is right near the back of the Bible, um, so if you get all the way to the back, you find Revelation, and then the John's letters, 1, 2, 3, and then there's two letters from the Apostle Peter, and we're going to be working through the first of these letters through the first six months of this year, that's the plan. We were in Exodus last year um, and we got up to end of chapter 14, I think, and then we'll be in 1 Peter for a little while and we'll probably come back to Exodus at some point later in the year, perhaps in the autumn. Um, and I thought it would be good to to start this year and, and, and as we go on in the year to look at this book um, because it's very important to our lives today. I mean, all the Bible speaks right into the here and now of our lives and the world around us. It's a book that's obviously thousands of years old, but it doesn't mean that what's in it isn't true for us today because it is. It is as close to truth as you will find. In fact, it is the truth. And we come to it every week. This is what we do here at this church. We come and we study it. But I want us to particularly look at this book, this letter written by Peter. Peter was one of uh, Jesus' disciples, one of Jesus' closest friends. So if you want to know about Jesus, which hopefully we do if you're here and you're a believer in Jesus and you've committed your life to following him, then of course you want to know more about him. Or if you're here and you think, I don't really know what I think about Christianity or God or church, then you're, you're in the right place to find out. And the best thing to do is to study the life of Jesus. Who was this man? The claims he makes about himself, are they true? What does this mean for me? Are all important questions. And this book really helps us to understand how do we live as followers of Jesus in the modern world? What does life for us look like? And it talks about issues like faith and suffering, humility, uh, uh, issues of sexuality and gender, cynicism, work, all sorts of issues that all of us will either personally have to work through or with friends or people we know or in our workplace or in our communities all sorts of issues that we will walk through perhaps every day, every week, this book speaks about. And Jesus, as I said, who was very close friends with Peter, toward the end of Jesus' life here on earth, he gave Peter a few commandments. He told him some things to do. First of all, um, you may know the story of when Peter denies Jesus. And Jesus actually tells him um, before that that's going to happen. And he says to Peter, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. That was one of the, one of the commands that Peter, Jesus gave to Peter. 
strengthen your brothers. And then another one he gave to him was after Jesus' death and resurrection, they're having a conversation, and Jesus says to Peter three times, do you love me? And he repeats it three times, do you love me? And then he goes on to say, feed my sheep. That was one of Jesus' other commands to Peter. So he says to him, uh, strengthen your brothers, strengthen, encourage believers, and feed my sheep. And he wasn't talking about some kind of farm that Jesus had. He meant the people of God, his flock, his sheep. And that's what Peter, that's what Peter gave his entire life to doing, was to encourage and strengthen followers of Jesus and to feed followers of Jesus with the word of God. And for us, as we go through this book, we're going to let Peter, from a few thousand years ago, encourage and strengthen and feed us. And I believe that this book will be food for your souls and will be encouragement and strength for life. So let me pray. God, we, uh, all of us, we, we want to be fed, um, not just with physical food, but we want food for our souls, for our hearts, for the very depth of our being. We know that without this food that we receive from you, that we'll be weak and we need strength in our lives to tackle the things ahead of us as we look into this year, to tackle the, the issues in our own life, in the things that we have to do. Sometimes we think we can do it ourselves and then we very quickly realize that we can't. Sometimes we think we can just fight through by ourselves and make a way and we soon realize that we need you we need you with the fullness of your power and your might to powerfully break into our lives and to shape us. So as we go through this book over these next few months, our prayer is that you would encourage us, strengthen us, and that you would richly and deeply feed our souls and lift our hearts, our eyes, our gaze towards you, Jesus. We pray that you do that even this morning as we look at these first few verses. Amen. Amen. We're just going to read the first couple of verses. Um, hopefully they should appear as if by magic on the screen here. Here we go. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, I don't know if you recognize these birds. You see them? The parakeets um, who kind of plague our city. You see them all over the place. And uh, they were listed in the, the local newspaper this week. They were listed um, 
or a group of scientists had, had, had done a study of the 100 worst alien species on the planet. Not alien as in they've come from Mars, because that would be amazing. If there were birds from Mars in our city, that would be very cool, but they're not. As in alien as in they shouldn't be here. Um, there are different stories of how they ended up in, in our city, whether they escaped from the zoo or someone had brought them here privately and they escaped and they started breeding. But uh, they did stop breeding and they carry on to do so, as many of them. And, and you, in the city, you kind of, this article was saying that some people love them and some people hate them because people would hate them because um, they tend to... Um, I don't, we find it in our street that about springtime, we've got these lovely trees and this blossom appears and you get a day where it looks amazing and then this just army of parakeets comes and eats all the blossom and I want to get out some sort of air rifle and shoot them down because I think, come on, we want the blossom back. Whereas other people love them because they bring colour and life and a kind of exotic edge to the city. Um, and I guess at the start of, at the start of this year... Um, in a weird sort of way, you might not initially relate to this, but we can all feel a little bit like a parakeet. We can all feel a little bit like a kind of an alien species, or as Peter writes in this letter, as, as exiles. We can feel like an, an exile, a stranger living in a foreign land. And for some of you, you feel like that because you literally are residing in a land which isn't where you were born and where you've grown up. That's true for me. You may have noticed I'm not Dutch, I'm English. Um, so for me, this, this isn't where I grew up when I lived my life. We've lived here for three and a half years and before that, I did not live here. So for me, in many ways, I've, sometimes I can feel a bit like an alien here. I can feel like an exile. There are certain things that you think, well, that just doesn't quite work. That doesn't quite fit in. It's not that they're bad necessarily, just Life's different. You go into the supermarket and things are different. And you go and you, you buy what the Dutch call cheddar cheese. Um, and it doesn't, it does, it's not cheddar cheese. It's this kind of orange rubbery thing. You think this isn't cheddar. Let me teach you a lesson about cheese. But then you discover Dutch cheese and the Dutch cheese that they sell in England tastes like the English cheese that they sell in Holland. <laughs> it's true. If you go into an English supermarket and buy... Dutch cheese, it just tastes all kind of rubbery, and you think, oh, this is disgusting. But then if you eat proper Dutch cheese, it's, it's the business, isn't it? It's really good. <laughs> but <laughs> we can all feel, if, if you're here and you're not Dutch, I'm sure you can relate to this, oftentimes you can feel a little bit like an alien, an exile, a bit of a stranger. Or it might be that you've lived in this city your whole life, You've grown up here, you know the place like the back of your hand, but often you might feel a bit like an, an alien or an exile or a stranger because as a follower of Jesus, you're aware that you don't quite fit in, that people around you think a bit differently. They make decisions in the way that you wouldn't. They're building their lives around something that isn't what you're building your life around. They have values and a whole belief system which is sometimes just a little bit different or sometimes is completely the opposite, is contrary to what you believe. And that can be hard. You can feel like an exile. You feel like you don't fit in. Or maybe you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus at all, 
but your experience of life, or maybe just at the moment, is that you feel somehow, I don't know, disconnected, dislocated. You feel like you just don't fit in. That you don't quite seem to be playing along to the same tune as everybody else. That your life doesn't seem to mesh with those around you. Feel a bit lost, perhaps. Well, if you sit in any one of those groups, then this letter is for you. Because Peter's saying right at the start of it, he's writing to exiles, to strangers living in a foreign land. And he, he, he lists these kind of five places which were, which were Roman colonies, which had probably had been uh, Jews and Christians would have most likely been sent there to help colonize these places. And they're probably listed in the order of where because Peter's letter would have been delivered by hand. It would have been given to someone and they would have traveled to these places and delivered a, 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 a copy or they would have spoken out this letter that, that Peter had written. Uh, and it would have gone round from, from place to place uh, as he went. And, it, and in these different places, they would have been addressing people like us. That's what Peter's saying. He's writing to exiles, to strangers, to people who, for whatever reason, don't quite fit in. And my encouragement to you this morning, or one of my encouragements to you um, from what Peter's talking about, is that if you do feel a little bit like that, if you do feel a bit like a parakeet, that you don't quite fit in, that's not necessarily a bad thing at all. Actually, that can be a really wonderful thing. That can be the grace of God. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, in Hebrews 11, a verse which I uh, very much enjoy, um, it says this, Beloved, I urge you as exiles, us exiles, the people that Peter's writing to, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, it says at the bottom there. Now, you see, Hebrews 11 is this wonderful chapter written about some of the heroes of the Bible, some of those people that have got amazing stories in the Old Testament, people like Abraham and Moses. Um, and what it says about them here is that just like just like us, they were strangers. They were exiles. I feel like I've just read completely the wrong verse, haven't I? Because I was reading from 2 Peter. Oh, and that's Hebrews 11. That's good, though, isn't it? You thought I would have noticed that a bit sooner. Let's read, uh, let's read Hebrews 11. We can... We can, uh, we'll edit that out of the, the podcast that goes out later and no one will know the difference. Okay, if you could stop laughing, otherwise the edit won't sync properly. Just, okay, good, here we go. <clears throat> it says, these all died in faith, these Hebrews, people written about in Hebrews 11, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. For if, if they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd, they'd gone out, they would, have had, they would have had opportunity to return. 
But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You see, these guys in Hebrews 11, living as strangers and exiles, for them it was, this passage is saying it was, by living like that, it's so as though they'd realized they managed to grasp something really important, really precious about life, that actually our, our home, which can be such a kind of evocative feeling, it can be something that feels like a kind of a beacon that draws us where we grew up, where we know what's familiar, home. But what the Bible teaches is that that's not necessarily a bad thing at all, but our real destiny, our home, is somewhere completely different. Is that God's prepared for us somewhere. Some, some of the memories you may have of your home may be very idyllic and beautiful, or maybe they're sad and painful. Whichever, the heavenly home that God's prepared for you is much greater and better than even the best that you could ever remember or consider about your homeland. And, and to, uh, to walk as somebody who knows actually that you, there's a greater purpose, there's a greater place even that God's prepared for you is a wonderful releasing thing. So if you feel a little bit like an exile, good, <laughs> you're supposed to. And if, if God has somehow made even your heart feel a little bit uncomfortable, you feel a little bit kind of ill at ease or out of place, good, <laughs> good. That's the grace of God. He's wonderfully, by his mercy, created an opportunity in your life to kind of shake up your circumstances a little bit, to make you realize that he's prepared something better for you. And if you feel just comfortable, and just at ease and at home, and maybe actually that might be a bit of a dangerous thing. <laughs> maybe you need to think, have I got, am, am I a little bit too comfortable here? Am I a little bit too settled here? Am I a little bit too kind of lost in the world around me? Do I need to shake my life up a little bit? And the church, the people of God, we're supposed to be a community in exile. We, we, that's how we're supposed to live in cities like this or live anywhere as a people in, in exile. That's why, that's why Peter's writing this letter, not just because they literally moved to a new place, but because even if they'd grown up there, we're supposed to live as exiles. And we're supposed to do that in two ways. Um, first of all, we're supposed to live here with a sense of purpose, with, with a sense of we're here to do something and to be something and to proclaim something. We're supposed to be seeking the peace of our city, seeking God's blessing, his favor on this city, seeking to do good to this city. We might only be here temporarily, but we're supposed to be active while we're here. That's what this word exile that Peter uses this kind of idea of a stranger in a foreign land, it's still their home. They're still, still supposed to be active there, even if it is temporary. It's an active relationship we're supposed to have. We can live, I guess, a bit like a parakeet in a good sense. As believers, we're supposed to bring some kind of life and color to this city to display something beautiful 
of God and his church to the people around us, to be a presence for good. And that means that we should live differently, is that verse that I mistakenly read a few moments ago. We're supposed to live as exiles here, keeping our conduct honourable, living our lives in worship to Jesus so that the people around us see something different about us, that they look at us and they recognise that we're kind of strangers, that we do kind of live in exile. They think, there's something different about you. There's something wonderfully attractive about how you live. There's, there's something about you that doesn't add up. It's a, that's a, a good way to live. We're supposed to stand out, to look different. However, to say that we're, we're, we're exiles, that only kind of really expresses half or probably less than that, just part of our identity. If you were to just refer to me as the Englishman, that would only be a very small slice of who I am. And that would be a bit rude. I just, oh, hey, Englishman, how are you doing? That would be a bit offensive in a way. Not that there's nothing wrong with English people, we're okay. But there's, something, there's so much more to me than just the fact that I'm English. Um, and just to say we're exiles doesn't really express the fullness of who we are. And Peter uses this phrase, he says we're elect exiles. Elect exiles. He goes on to read this verse, the second verse here, where he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and to sprinkling with his blood. See, these elect exiles, we're here according to the foreknowledge of God. What that, what that means is that God's chosen you before in his great knowledge and wisdom. God's chosen you. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus, that he's elected you, he's called you, he's chosen you. The Bible teaches that God did that even before the world began, before you were born, before this city even existed, before the world even began, God chose you in his great wisdom. And not just as a kind of a, not only as a creator, I'm going to make that person and put them over there, but as a father, God's fatherly care for you, his loving parental knowledge and wisdom for you predates the earth. He's got this plan for you that he's laid out, this good plan as your loving father. So even the fact that you've ended up here in this city, in this building today, surrounded by these people today, that's part of God's fatherly care for you. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? His knowledge for you that goes back millennia has led you here today, has brought you here. So it's, you might feel like, I don't want to be here. I want to do something else. Or I don't like the job I'm in. I don't, I don't like how what, this situation that I found myself in. But God's led you to that place. And if you're in a bad place that you know you need to get out of, God will lead you out of that. 
as your good father who loves you and cares for you. But not only has God been involved in your past, in choosing you and calling you, but he's involved in your present, your today. We have this phrase here where it says, in the sanctification of the spirit, which might seem a bit of an odd phrase to you. You see that what we believe is that when you become a follower of Jesus, when you commit your life to follow him, that the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home inside of you. That God himself comes to live within you in a really powerful way. And we each get to walk our lives in the sanctification of the spirit. That means that Jesus is in us helping us each day to follow him, to live for him. And our whole existence as, as exiles, we live in a, in a new era, a new time. We get to live in the age of the Spirit, a time of the Holy Spirit being at work within us. And that means that there's always this unseen, unheard activity of God in your life. Just as consistently as there's oxygen in the air around you to breathe, and you never doubt, is it there? Is, is, is there gonna be oxygen this morning? You just wake up and assume it's gonna be there. As a believer in Jesus, you can know the power of God within you, and it's there, and he's at work. And to be honest, throughout your whole life, you probably find maybe 90%, 95%, 99% of everything that God's doing in your life, you're not even aware of. <laughs> you, you don't see all the ways he's blessing you. And every now and again, we get a glimpse of, wow, God, I didn't realize that. You suddenly get to look back at a season of your life and think, oh yeah, all those things that happened, God was, he was, God was at work in all those things. He's led me over here and he's done this. Oh, and I can understand why that happened now. And you're suddenly aware of, wow, look at God at work. But most of the time, we're not even aware of it. It's this unseen, unheard activity of God in our lives. And it means we get to live in this kind of, I guess like a spiritual atmosphere where every circumstance we come across, every sorrow, every hardship, God uses as a, as a tool for his sanctifying work. He uses as a tool, as an instrument to help change us, to grow us. And we might think, where is God? Where is, where's his power? Where's, where is this Holy Spirit? He's at work within you. Let me just read to you a couple of verses. If I can make them appear at the right place. Here we go. First of all, from Romans 8. It says, likewise... The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is in 2 Corinthians. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. God's within you 
And sometimes we can lose heart. We can get disaffected, dissatisfied, frustrated. We can become despondent, annoyed. We can lose heart because we sometimes realize how frail we are, <laughs> how we make mistakes, how we keep trying to do the right thing, but we can't quite do it, how we keep trying to achieve and follow our dreams, but we fall short because we're frail and out, this outer body wastes away. Even if I do grow an impressive beard, you know, I'm, each day I'm getting closer and closer to my body just one day stopping. It's true. But yet, within me, I'm being renewed day by day by the power of God to become more and more like Jesus. It doesn't always feel like that. I think, do I feel more holy than yesterday? Not really. But again, when you look back over the course of your life, you can see God at work, renewing you, strengthening you. We get the personal activity of God working in our lives. That's what it is to know the Holy Spirit within us, this sanctification of the Spirit. So we have this past choosing of God. He's chosen us. We have this present today activity of God within us, this sanctifying of the Spirit. But it's empowering us for a future goal to be able to live in obedience to Jesus Christ to follow him. And as these exiles here, we're called to lead these Jesus-centered, Christ-centered lives focused on him, following his game plan, worshiping him. And we all know, we all experience times when, when we stray and we wander and we fail. Because the Christian life, the way I've described it, might suddenly sound very easy. Oh, great, okay, so the Holy Spirit lives with me, and then each day I just get better and better. Brilliant. <laughs> Tomorrow I'll be perfect. But it doesn't work like that. Because we fail, and we make mistakes. We do what the Bible calls sin. We turn our back on God. We try and live our own way. We, we do what pleases us. We do what we think will make us happy, even though we know that it probably won't. We'll get tempted to go in a certain direction, to do a certain thing, to look at a certain thing, to desire a certain thing. And these things let us down, they fail us. But we still have what it calls here, we're sprinkled with his blood. We know the blood of Christ that's made a way for us this once and for all sacrifice of God, but also this ongoing forgiveness and blessing that we can know. It says in 1 John, it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can come to God again, even this morning, knowing that his grace is enough for us, that his blood shed for us is enough. We can receive fresh forgiveness, fresh mercy. And that would be my, my encouragement to you at the start of 2018 would be to repent. And that means we turn our backs on our old way of life and we commit to following God instead. In a way, that's what everybody around us is doing right now when they set themselves resolutions, things that this year I'm going to do. It's, it's kind of a, an act of secular repentance. <laughs> It's saying, I'm going to turn my back on that way where last year I didn't do all those things and this year I'm going to do all these things. It's kind of an act of repentance. It's kind of it's saying my old way of life wasn't working, so I'm going to do something new, something fresh, something different. And my encouragement to you is that there's nothing wrong with resolutions. I set myself some things this year that I want to try and do. Um, and they're not legalistic things. If I don't hit them, then fine. But I just find it helpful in my own life to have a few goals to work towards. There's nothing wrong with that. But my provocation to you would be the best way to start this year is in repentance to God and say, do you know what? It's not about me trying to achieve my own goals, but I want to live for you, Jesus. I want to turn my back on this and that and this thing. I want to say no more. I want to fix my eyes on you afresh. I want to follow you. And we can confess our weaknesses and our frailties, knowing that we come to a gracious, loving Father who will sanctify us, strengthen us by the helper, the Holy Spirit, who helps us to live for him. Let me pray. Why don't you, um, if you're happy to, why don't you just stand to your feet? You don't have to, you can stay seated if you prefer. Let me just pray for us. Peter finishes those two verses by saying, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. God, and that's our prayer at the start of this year, is we want to know your peace and your grace to its fullest, to the maximum extent. And we know that life is just better that way. It is. Of everything around us that this world offers, everything that, that calls us and says, this is going to make your life better. This is going to fix you. This is going to satisfy you. We know all those things that let us down. And we know what truly satisfies our souls, Jesus, is you. And we want to know your grace and your peace to its fullest extent. And we want to start this year by just repenting of just coming to you and saying, God, I'm sorry for those things that I've done that I know we're against you, where I turn my back on you and try to live my own way. 
where I put my hope and my trust in you, where I said to money, you come and be my God, or sex, you be my God, my idol, those things where we've put our trust in things that seem so appealing but fail us. We want to say, God, I'm going to put my trust in you. My whole life, everything, I don't want to hold anything back, right to the bottom of my pockets, right to the bottom of my bank account, everything, I want to entrust it to you again and say, have your way. I turn my back on those things which I know have offended you, that are against you, God. I want to live for you, Jesus. Help me to follow you. We ask Holy Spirit you'd be at work in this ongoing sanctification, strengthening of us, helping us day by day to follow you, helping us day by day to see more of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd be at work. We need you so deeply in our weaknesses, in our frailties, in this wasting away body. We need to be renewed day by day by your power. And we ask for it this morning. Why don't you just, before we move on, we're going to sing a song in a moment. But before we do that, why, just, why don't you just, in your own heart, quietly before God, just pray a prayer of repentance now. It's very simple. You just have to say to God, look, these, I'm sure there are things that you can think of that have come to mind as I've been talking. Things that you know you don't want your life to look like that anymore. Things where you know you've turned your back on God. Just come to him and ask for his forgiveness. Receive his grace. And then say, God, I'm, I'm going to follow you instead. Jesus, that we just want to commit all those private, quiet, hidden prayers to you. And we know that although it might be hidden in our own hearts, it's not hidden before you. You know every facet of our life. And we pray you'd, you'd help us by your power to follow you, to live for you, Jesus.